0: Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Gerd Leonhard, CEO of the Futures Agency, the Futurist and a Humanist. Thank you, Corti. Tobiano. great pleasure to be with you today, so I'm going to talk to you about the future. It's a pretty simple conversation. <laughs> I'll try to dive in a little bit deeper. You know the last I've been doing this for about 15 years. Um, and I've spoken, maybe, I don't know, almost 2,000 times. (laughs) Sounds crazy, doesn't it? Uh, In the last five years I speak, people ask me one important question. What's going to happen to people when everything becomes technology? So I wrote my fifth book, it's called Technology Versus Humanity. My publisher thought it would be better if I say versus humanity. But the story is about technology and humanity, of course. And we have a couple of free copies available later if you want one. I think it's also available in Slovak for free. I don't know exactly how you would get that. It's put out by the government, but you'll see. All right, so let's start here. I think we're living in one of the most exciting times, the biggest transformation in human history. I know people keep saying this, but. You know, it's basically, if you're looking at this, what's happening, we've had all these huge changes in the past, you know, electricity, the telephone, of course, World War II, the nuclear bomb. What we have now is mind-boggling things that used to be science fiction. You know, speaking to computers, computers speaking to us, autonomous cars, quantum computing, that's five years or so in the future, Uh, food that's farmed in a a vertical high-rise, in a building, artificial meat. I mean, we're talking about things that are going to change our lives. I think we have more change in the next 20 years than the previous 300 years. If you have kids, you've got to think about this, because our kids are going to grow up in a world that's so entirely different than anything that we've known. Yeah. I think the kids of our kids will not know how to drive a car, because the car just command with your voice. Yeah. They will live to be 100 years on average, maybe 120 if that's good or bad, we'll have to define not obviously a huge shift in how we work. And I think really part of that is that the sciences and technologies behind this are all coming together. Now, we used to have innovation and in biosciences and those kind of things, but, but now it's robotics, it's artificial intelligence, it's quantum computing, it's big data. I mean, it's all happening at the same time. So scientific and technological innovation at a very fast pace. So here, basically, what's happening just as one example, you know, in in the medical field, some of you may be in that business, we're looking at the complete convergence of technology and biology. Now, think about what that will do for the pharma companies. You know, do you really think in 10 years we're going to take a pill for our cholesterol? Or we're not going to know that we have a a proclivity towards diabetes? Well, we're going to scan our entire body, our biomes, our DNA, there are lots of issues with this. I mean, that holds the key to the future of healthcare, also to lower the cost. So we're going to see a lot of things that we think, you know, were basically science fiction. But if we keep on thinking linear, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, that's bad. And it's very hard for us to not think linear because we're human. You know? We don't live like this. <laughs> Humans live like. You know, we learn a little bit and then, you know, nature is cyclical, so nature goes like this, it goes up, it destroys, comes back up. Technology doesn't do that. It explodes. It's hard for us sometimes to understand this. So, science fiction is becoming science fact. And so the question that we have to ask for our business and for ourselves is the question of, what if? The German car companies, seven years ago, were looking at this question saying, well, what about car sharing? That's, of course, an oxymoron in Germany. You share your car, (laughs) you own your car, (laughs) you make perfect cars. And of course, electric cars, autonomous cars. The question is, what if, and now today the car companies are saying, okay, the future of the car is probably not to have a car. To share it, to lease it, to rent it. to order it on demand, to get mobility services. we will show you a short clip with some examples. Well, you could say this could be heaven or it could be hell. Depending on how you look at it, like drone delivery. In Switzerland, where I live, we're not so excited about the drones. <laughs> but it's really interesting to see all the things that are coming to us in a very, very quick pace. So This is the key question you know, what if and what can we do about the future. One thing is for certain, the future is very unlikely to be like the present, no matter what business you're in. I used to be in the music business, we sold records. What do you sell today in the music business? Access, information. Spotify, you guys know Spotify? 10 euros for 20 million songs. Music is free. So what do you sell on music? You sell the experience, what they call the experience. (laughs) Completely different. So we have to think about the future in this entirely different context, and it's very important that we do well what is, you know, we have to execute right, but we have to think about what might be. It's a very big cultural challenge for us in Europe, you know, I'm German, I live in Switzerland, but I lived in the US for 17 years, and Americans always think about what might be, that's just the way that things are there. (laughs) You always think about how you can change things, and we think about how we can perfect things. In Germany, we have an engineering culture, which is great. But the rest of the world is moving towards an experience culture, creating experiences. So bringing those two things together, that's quite a mission. You know, the present, uh, the future. So in my book, Chapter 3, you can download this for free, megashifts.digital, in uh, 11 languages. Uh, I talk about the megashifts, and this is really funny. A lot of people ask me to come to speak about digital transformation. And I say, well, I'm not going to talk about transformation anymore, because." If it was so easy, you know, we can just say, okay, everything we don't know is digital transformation. It's actually a lot more than that. It's 11 different things. I call them the mega shifts. And what we have here is they're also percolating across each other and it will take all day to explain it. So I'll just explain some of them. Cognification means that systems are getting smart. Machines are learning. You know, they're not learning like humans but they're recognizing patterns. That's called AI. That's a bad word, but okay, I'll explain why that's a bad word. But machines are learning, you know, context, they're understanding situations. And we can virtualize things. Like in production, you have digital twins. You know, you have a machine in real life, and then you have the machine that's on the virtual network that you can monitor. And of course, music, films, television, transportation, it's all in the cloud, Even banking is moving to the cloud. Robots becoming as cheap as, you know, a baby stroller. I think the Porsche baby stroller is about $4,000. That's the price of a Baxter now. Okay. I mean, It's mind-boggling what's happening with robots and what we can do with all that stuff. And that's, you know, leading to augmentation, augmented reality, virtual reality, of course, HoloLens and many others. We're going to be able to go like Tom Cruise in the Minority Report. You know, go inside the data, fish around, you know. And automation. Automation is a bigger challenge to us than globalization. And think about that, what that means for our work. If, if machines are smart, they can automate. Yeah? I'll talk more about that a little bit later. And finally, of course, we have this whole way of saying, okay, mega shifts are really, you know, if we're looking at this in a, in a larger context. We have to understand what that means and which way we're going with this. So again, a short clip on this. the cone elevators, you know, people are actually buying elevators now and they're saying, well, if the elevator doesn't talk, parenthesis, and doesn't communicate, we're we're buying from a different brand because this brand can talk to us. It's funny, you know, seven years ago or six years ago, I I test drove a a Tesla and I almost bought one just because it had the big pad in the middle. It could talk to me and I I could speak to the Tesla, I could say, I want a cappuccino and would get me one. I remember I was in the car and I was thinking like what can I do that's going to make it a hiccup you know in the system and I said I want to listen to Black Magic Woman by Santana. He just played the song. So I almost bought the car just for that <laughs> the experience of being connected. So here's the most important thing. Technology is actually not what transformation is about. Technology is a tool. Powerful tool. It's about culture, mindset the connected mindset. You know, sometimes I say jokingly, we're going from an ego, an ego economy, from a, a place to where we are the wheel, to an ecosystem, you know, to where there's many wheels. And Microsoft itself is on that transition, you know, from, as I would say, from ego to eco, <laughs> from a networked organization. So this is a really powerful thing. We're not going to be fast enough for the future by ourselves. We're going to work with startups, universities, research institutes, other companies, competitors. It's now about hyper-collaboration, not about hyper-competition. Every time you compete with somebody, you should ask the question, can we collaborate instead and move faster? That's the key question. I mean, that's what companies do. The top 20 companies in the world, all, they're all digital companies. No longer all, all companies, banks. That's what they do. That's a lesson we can learn from the digital economy. So I'll talk to you about the game changes that are driving this, and there's quite a few. Uh, I'll, I'll just skim the surface a little bit on this, but it's important to understand, you know, there's nine game changes. Data, cloud computing, which is, yeah, that's been around for a while. The Internet of Things, environment, networks, artificial intelligence, quantum computing, the blockchain, and clearly, that's a huge discussion right there. 3D printing, added manufacturing, virtuality, and genetic engineering. And they're all happening at the same time. You may have heard about this thing in the, uh, in the paper the other day, uh, the, the Chinese doctor, who was the first doctor in the world to actually use CRISPR-Cas9 genetic engineering to change the genome of a, of a, of a couple of uh, twin babies so that they wouldn't get HIV. I mean, it's here. That sounds like straight out of science fiction. The important part is, for us, we have to understand that we only can do those things if they create human value. And with that, I don't mean monetary value. Part of human value is, of course, monetary value. (laughs) Clearly, that's part of the discussion that we're having. But it has to have human benefits. And there are some companies and some things in the digital universe, like Facebook, where it has flipped from creating human value to creating monetary value, primarily. That's too bad. That should be a lesson for us. <laughs> In the end, if the users don't trust us anymore, we're finished. No matter what the fancy technology is. That's especially true for business-to-business applications. So, three things that we have to focus on when we talk about the game changes. Data is the new oil. That saying is 15 years old. I I said this 15 years ago, and people were like, oil? What do you mean, oil? Yeah, the most powerful companies in the world today are not the oil companies. They're the data companies. Artificial intelligence is the new electricity, puts the lights on, and the Internet of Things is the new nervous system. McKinsey says roughly $100 trillion revenue shifts here. I mean, clearly, if if you're in business, you're not going to get around any of these. And I'll explain what I mean with AI. I don't mean X-Machina, Transcendence, Black Mirror. I'm talking about smart software. These machines don't think. They're not intelligent, like us. They're clever. They're smart. They're cognitive, if you wish. But a human, that's a whole different cup of tea of what we think with intelligence, which I'll talk about shortly. But it's very important to realize this. We have to understand the future in this way. Right? Observe, understand. Imagine, transform. It's not enough to know things. I'll give you an example. You know, if you come home in the evening, you meet your kids for dinner, there's your 13-year-old son and he tells you about how he's missed the bus and what kind of grades he has, that's, that, that's called knowledge, huh? data. But when you look at him and you see him smile like an idiot, you realize he's fallen in love for the first time in his life. That's called understanding. Huh? He hasn't said anything. But of course you know from your own experience that's what you look like. That's called understanding. And understanding is something that is pretty much what humans can do very easily. Very hard for machines. Machines can have knowledge, understanding, imagination. That's what we do. That's what we should teach our kids. Can you imagine a computer that has imagination? You can imagine a computer that fakes imagination. Nick Cave, famous musician, said just a couple of months ago, "A computer can write good music, but it cannot write great music. It doesn't have the guts." That's so true. Does it mean the computer is worthless? No, it's fine. Don't expect the computer to be like us. You know, it's not going to be, and we don't want it to be. So, uh, as I like to say, uh, tagging to this. Business as usual is either dead or dying. When I was in the music business, we sold records. Now we sell the cloud. Even the car industry—you used to sell cars. Now you sell mobility. In the banking business, you don't charge transaction fees. You have to think of something else. In the insurance business, do you insure what is not known? How many things are going to be unknown in the future? We have to think. Yeah, different way, this is uh, a company called Waysoon in china they uh, They print three d houses and they print the inside and the outside. Uh, this house was printed in four days, including the pillows yeah. and someday i 'm joking they will also print the people that's uh, that 's the next thing so they don 't need anyone anymore right. now we have a company like Nestless selling. Uh, healthy cocktails instead of coffee, you can have your own personalized food in a coffee machine. This is happening in Japan, personalized food. Bill Gates has invested in a company that makes artificial meat in a lab. This is actually real meat, you know, it's it's lab-grown meat. And he says that the prices for that meat is about 2,000 euros now, a pound. It's quite delicacy, obviously, but in 10 years, One-tenth of our meat, you know, regular meat. And without the cruelty, as they say. (laughs) I mean, think about that for a second. Everything that we know is up for change. So let's talk about what that means for humans, for us. Very important. When you think about artificial intelligence, forget all of this. This is entertainment. You know, Hollywood is very good, and of course Netflix and others, at fear Exploiting our fear, entertaining us that way. That's interesting, but don't think about artificial intelligence as a black mirror. Even though it's a tempting idea. (laughs) I love those shows myself, but let's think about what it really means. This is what it really means. I.A. Intelligent Assistance. When you drive a self-driving car, very few of us would sit in the back and eat a pizza. You know, driving down Highway 1 in California, or, you know, taking it to a nice restaurant in Rome, we're not going to sit back there and have a telephone conference. You know, It, it will drive itself when we put a hands near the wheel. It's assisting us. When we use email systems that schedule our meetings, we, we, don't, we still go to the meetings. Well, we're just using intelligent software. That's really what it is today. It's not human. It's not intelligent like us. It's basically just fancy software, IA. And I would say, I would submit that if we go further into the future, we're going to truly intelligent, you know, broadly intelligent systems with AI, and then we get to what's called AGI, Artificial General Intelligence. Some people say that's around 2050, you know, the time of the singularity where one, one computer could have the capacity of all human brains. 2050. The question is, do we want that? And the answer is quite clearly, probably not. And why would we want that? <laughs> I mean, isn't it enough if we can have a system that does all of these things? It can be our slave? Do the monkey work for us? That's enough. Why do we want a system that's going to be like us? <laughs> would be impossible. I mean, imagine a computer with an with a I.Q. of a million, talking to other computers with an I.Q. of a million. That probably won't end very well for us <laughs> but Let's not talk about that, because I think the really interesting part for business is this part, right? It's like, that's where we are today. So, right now, intelligent systems will have a huge social impact because it's going to change our jobs. I mean, if you're checking out in the supermarket, that's going to be done by mobile. You know, Amazon Go and others driving a car. Yeah, I think it'll be a while before we don't have taxi drivers. But still, bookkeeping accounting, auditing. That's a machine job. Machines will learn that. But it's not existential. This is existential. Machines that can be like us. So that's something we should think about if we want that. So the reality today is this. If you drive a car like this, a Tesla, you know, this is pretty cool. But I'm still there. I'm still driving. I'm not out of the loop. Is it going to be uh, two years until we can drive the Tesla worldwide and just sit in the back and read the newspaper? And No. Is this helpful? Absolutely. But here's the bottom line. My colleague Luciano Faridi says in AI Researches, algorithms can outperform human intelligence when it is not about human things. Emotion, understanding, language, interpretation, consciousness. In other words, the donkey work. You know, facts left and right, checking, zeros and ones, if this then that. That's what machines do. it will be very helpful for this. Will people be unemployed because of this? Yeah, maybe some truck drivers will eventually feel that. Right? But it's still, you know, we still have time to think about how, what that means. And the bottom line really is we're going to this world. We're going to a dual-fold world. One is about algorithms, technology, and the other one, is about what I call in the book, rhythms," the human things. And just as a reminder, you know what they are? <laughs> Thousands. Moravec, a famous researcher in AI, said, whatever is very hard for a computer is very simple for a human, and vice versa. These skills or traits, ethics, empathy, consciousness, values, mystery, those are human skills. We don't want to take those away. We want to strengthen those. Let the machine help us with the other things. That's our future. And that's what our kids have to learn. I mean, if you're going to do anything with your kids, make sure they have empathy. Make sure they can imagine things. Because in 10 years, 70% of new jobs have not even been invented yet. Our kids have to invent their own job, and they have to keep changing it, and they have to keep learning. They're, they're going to you know, compete with machines on knowledge? No, that's not going to happen. In 10 years, machines will learn every single routine that does not take human skills. To some degree, at least. It's a question of how far we go with this. Imagine a computer. I think the latest numbers are that computers can read roughly about a million books a minute, AI systems. Imagine a computer that reads all of the books of philosophy and there aren't even a million books on philosophy, <laughs> but the computer reads all those books. Takes less than a minute. Would you call the computer a philosopher? Well, I think in Europe people would shake our heads and say, "No, no." It's... But he could tell you page 55 of John Paul Sartre the following quote instantly. I can't, right? but I can be a philosopher not knowing that because I have understood it. The computer has all the information, but it has no understanding. Uh, it, it doesn't know what it feels like to have pain, which is a central aspect of philosophy. <laughs> it doesn't know. So data information is not knowledge, is not understanding, is not wisdom, is not purpose. And I put the asterisks there because data information is a certain kind of knowledge. A computer that scans all of the melanomas in the world, in oncology has a kind of a knowledge. Is it the same in a doctor? Not really. Definitely missing those things. So it's probably a good pair, I think, in the future. So we have this joke, you know, when we make our graphics, we think about this concept, we use this box called the digital transformer. And the way it works is you stick in the old business and magically, with a much higher valuation, uh, the new business comes out. And that's really what we're talking about here. You're going to have a smart business, not just efficiency, but different. So smart industry, smart banking, smart health, maybe even smart government. Just kidding. (laughs) Of course we already have that here. right? So, interesting, I mean, this is basically what's happening, and that is a huge process in the next 10 years. That's the transformation. There's no rocket science here. There's no magic transcendence idea. There's no ex machina. But here's my principle. Everything should be as smart as necessary, but not smarter. I'm riffing off Albert Einstein here who said, everything should be as simple as possible, but not simpler. What happens when systems get too smart? A, we stop thinking because so we we'll leave it to them, we abdicate. B, lots of mistakes, because they really aren't that smart. Because, you know, it's a black box, so we just trust them. We have to be very careful with this. How smart is the system? Is it human? Does it understand? Should we have a machine decide which criminal leaves jail or not? Probation. Does the machine really know what it feels like to be in jail? Or to have regret. I mean, <laughs> these are not excessively—you know—they're not trivial topics. But this is what's happening with artificial intelligence. I think very important for us to realize we have this quadrant. So I would say, you know, we're basically moving to a quadrant where it's quite good, mostly good, um, to a quadrant where it could be quite scary, to where we have to agree on what we want, what we don't want. So, for example. You know, using uh, home devices, Google Home, Cortana, Siri, and many others. You know, I think that's quite positive, but we do have to evaluate privacy issues there. Automation, yeah. Automation is everywhere. We have to have a social discourse about what that means. But that's a fact of life, we're automating. Augmented intelligence, virtual reality, and so on, yeah. Interesting, also a question. What happens there with... You know, once we're inside. Imagine you spent the whole day with your virtual reality glasses as a doctor. And you can be Tom Cruise. You, know? you can do anything you want. And then you come home in the evening. You're sitting with your family. Your kids. It's so boring. Right? Because you're not Tom Cruise anymore. You're just Tom Schmidt. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's going to change our world. Imagine if you live in that world, you're, you're like superhuman. You know? Like half a god, you know. This, Uh, we don't want that, I don't think. So that that discussion is going to happen, I think, in the next uh, foreseeable future. So, as I like to say, societies are driven by the technology, but defined by the humanity. Do not let your values be defined by technology. That's always a very bad idea. That's why we need to come together to think about what that means. Brings me to this topic, digital ethics. The number one topic, as Gardner said, for 2019 is how we use technology for the human good. And there's so many examples saying that you know technology is primarily good, right? But when we overdo it, we're quite bad. And how do we prevent this? Here's the fact, when exponential technology takes home, next 10 years we're going to leap 100x it's no longer going to be about if we can do something but why and who the most trusted company wins right now is the company with the biggest computers that wins and the most number of users it's just simple sort of metrics but this is going to change, this is going to be the big question, and in your business, no matter what business you're in, is going to be about that. Why do people come to you? What do you have that special? Who are you? What do you stand for? Why do you think people are starting to feel mistrust towards Facebook, for example? I don't know if you feel mistrust, but I do. I left Facebook last year, because I'm thinking like, you know, this is probably not criminal what they're doing, but it's unethical, in my view. So I'm feeling like, yeah, I'm not so sure I want to give them all this information <laughs> so they can keep harvesting it. So here's the challenge, I think, for us in technology. And this matrix from the, uh, from the World Economic Forum, you see all these symbols about benefits and risks. So to the right are the benefits of technology, and to the left are the negative consequences, the risk. If you're looking at the top here, the top three things, the Internet of Things, genomic engineering and artificial intelligence, They are in the upper right quadrant, which means most benefits, most risk. So what are we going to do? There's no way we're going to step back and say, we're not going to use this because it may be dangerous. We're not talking about the black hole here. We're going to have to figure out how we devise rules. Everything that's powerful needs rules, whether it's guns, nuclear weapons, genetic engineering, and artificial intelligence is, by all the means, an extremely powerful tool. So, we have our friend Sadya. I think some of you may know who he is. Um, this is the key question, so I have a short snippet from it. Uh, accidentally, I do use Sadya also for my other speeches, not just here, but because the quote is interesting. How do we build software that's secure by design right we have to really do a lot of re-engineering of our processes teaching of our own engineers on what does it mean to do threat modeling in software so that we build more robust software same thing with ai Uh, we have to have design principle any business any person who's going to use ai to make any decision of consequence your child's education you are going to want to know and have transparency and explainability and trust in this technology. I will tell you, there'll be no adoption of AI without that. So it's an interesting debate, you know, it's just like the cloud, there's really no way around the cloud. I mean, if, if today you're going to decide you're not going to use the cloud, what is it going to mean for your efficiency in your business in five years? That's uh, mission impossible. I mean, everything is in the cloud. But if you're going to be in the cloud, you're going to expect security, safety, rules, regulations, you know, human age, you're gonna expect and the same thing is true I think for these things and we have to really keep a very good eye on this. Because in the bottom line really is when we think about technology, I'm sure you've seen people, you know, who are sort of adoring technology in this way. Too much of a good thing can be a very bad thing. That goes for alcohol, food, cigarettes, you name it, but it goes for technology. So when we think about that becoming sort of the, the the new normal, you know, like the the addiction of the of the uh, social media crack, right, so to speak. Yeah, and of course, you know, getting all of the data, scanning all the data from us. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but give me some control. You know, <laughs> Let me figure out what are the limits of this right now. It seems like anything is possible. Yeah? Next thing we know, our DNA is in the cloud, and somebody will make a clone and ask me for $100,000 know, to kill the clone. Yeah? So, I mean, look, governments must regulate, supervise, and Satya said so himself, uh, CEO of Microsoft, users must make informed choices, not use, do use, and industry leaders must be proactive, we must actually be accountable. And this is new, the first time this year where industry leaders are saying, you know, CEO of Apple said the other day, uh, Tim Cook, he said, technology can do great things, but it does not want to do great things. It doesn't want anything. That's so true, right? Because <laughs> you know, this is just technology. I mean, if, if I ask a computer to make paper clips out of you, if the computer can do it, they would gladly do it to get the job done. You know? This is just what they do. So we have to think about what that means for, you know, we have to think about what that means for privacy, for example. I mean, you know, we know who's gunning for privacy now. Uh, the biggest country in the world, you know, two and a half billion users. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg is more... Uh, powerful than any other president of any other country in the world. Right? There's something materially wrong with this. Not just because they got there in such a way, but you know, how are we going to have any recourse here? Right? I mean, basically, this is what they do, right? and they're not using people for this. <laughs> they're using an AI for this. So, so that's interesting. But you know, I think we need to grow. You know, basically, what I call rehumanize media. I we need to rehumanize technology. Put the humans back in. Keep the humans in the loop. Be certain that what we want is human benefit, not stock market benefit. You know, Facebook is the highest selling digital stock. I mean, if you had invested in Facebook, you would have made the most profit ever in the last four years. And what has it created? A huge threat to democracy. So we're making lots of money, but we're destroying the world at the same time. You know, that's, that's kind of a strange mix. <laughs> you got to think about that. So this is really important for all technology, that we make sure that it has a human purpose. And that brings me to this. I call it the Digital Ethics Council. And I've been pitching this all over the world. There's a couple of few of them already in existence. Microsoft has a great initiative on AI ethics, of course. Many others have tried. This is not an easy topic. I always say technology is not what we seek, but how we seek. You didn't marry your wife or your husband because they are great technology. What you love at your husband and your wife is not that they're efficient, right? It's the opposite of that. It's not about technology, it's about what you're trying to get with technology, which of course is happiness in some wider sense. Basically, what that means is you know, we are gonna have to look at all those issues of artificial intelligence and, and, of course, other technology. We have to be able to understand it, it has to be diverse, we have to move the bias out, we have to create autonomy. The European Commission has great AI ethics guidelines that just came out that everybody is debating. So I would predict that every major company, every country, will have a chief ethics officer. And with ethics, I'm not talking about stuff like beliefs or any of those things. I'm talking about keeping it good. That's, that's going to be crucial. Because if a company doesn't respect that I'm human, I'm not going to do business. I think that is the ultimate, the key to our success, really. As I like to say, you know, when we talk about privacy, I speak a lot in the US, and people keep telling me in Silicon Valley that privacy is dead. To which I would say, if you don't have anything to hide, you're probably not human. That's a part of what we are. And that has to be respected with technology as well. So, the principle here is, you know, we're going to connect absolutely everything. Our environmental networks, our banking, our food, our DNA, absolutely everything. Exponential, convergent, combinatorial, 10 years, everything connected. Because it brings huge benefits and solutions to energy, to water, to farming, to food. But the more we connect, the more we have to protect. I know it sounds crazy, doesn't it? Because how can you connect something and then also protect it? It seems like mission impossible. We have to think holistic, we have to think of a circular economy, sustainable. We have to put the human in the center. Because if we just connect, like, you know, the phone companies used to tell us, uh, the likes of t mobiles and others, the more we connect, the better our lives is. Yeah. And that used to be true, and now we're thinking, like, you know what? Offline is the new luxury. Okay. It's funny, you know, in Africa, you go to places in Africa, and they're saying, you know, we wish nothing more than to connect. Then us here, we're saying, we wish nothing more than to disconnect. It's yeah. can to get away from it. We have to find a mix. It's not about either or. It's a very important conversation. So when you go into this future, I think we have to think about how we're going to navigate those game changes. The first thing about that is you have to understand what they are. And that's everybody's job in this room is to understand what is cloud computing? What is virtuality? What does it do? Do I get it? Okay. And then here's the second thing. All of our politicians, public officials, should have a driver's license for the future so they can get on the road. This is crucial because they're going to decide things for us like the rules of privacy. I mean, you know, in Switzerland where I live, all the politicians talk about copyright laws. Is that really a problem? (laughs) we talk about work, unemployment, you know, technological issues. That's what you have to understand, the larger story. So let's pass a future test for our politicians. Let me briefly talk about work and job. This is what's happening, there's no doubt about it. We're going to work a lot more with technology, with machines, with robots, with software, with AI, and that's going to be happening absolutely everywhere. Do not let your children learn a job that can be done by this guy. And that's any job that does not involve human thinking. Facts and figures, zeros and ones. Because the end of routine is near, 10 years. Look at this, right? This is actually an understatement. I think it's going to be about 70, 30 jobs done by the machine. And then we have this, right? quite, cle- quite clearly, sorry, is the non-routine work is exploding, cognitive and otherwise. Right? And then we have the last side, which is very important. Most of us will be freelancers in the future. called the gig economy, because that's a very American. You know, it's going to take longer in Europe, (laughs) but clearly, I mean, imagine if if half of us work as freelancers, don't we need better laws for the protection of freelancers? Social security? Yeah, we do. We can't just say, well, these people are lucky because they can drive the Uber. We have to think a little bit further than that. So here's the bottom line on this. The end of routine is not the end of work. It's just the end of routine. If your job is 100% routine, you're out of luck. Right? But which job, think about that for a second, which job is 100% routine? The checkout in the supermarket? Maybe. Not in a health food store. Because in a health food store, you have conversations. You know? that's, that's not routine. So yes, I think all of our routine will be done by machines. And we have to move up the food chain. We can do that. There's new jobs there. In 20 years, that's going to be a big challenge because there'll be so many of them. But this is clearly where we're going. You know, especially men proud of themselves for a long time on this, right? Brain, brain power. It translates to productivity and efficiency. But you know, you know what is productive and optimized and efficient? It's not you. It's the machine. That's what machines do. Limitlessly efficient. So I think we need to pivot our education to look in this direction and say, yeah, this is pretty cool, everybody should know tech, but this is actually better. The humanities. What, what are things that the, that the, the bots can't do? Right. Ethics, creativity, imagination. Einstein once said, imagination is more important than knowledge. Of course, that was Einstein. Yeah, he, he, he did have a bit of knowledge. You know. So, I mean, that's actually the sign of a genius if you can do both. You know, most people can't. But, but as far as us goes, you know, this is our future. Clearly, I mean, known technology without technology, yeah. We know that's not going to work. <laughs> but what do we know about people? Do we understand the customer? Imagine you sit down with the customer for two minutes. Customer isn't saying anything. Would you still know what the customer feels? Absolutely, because, you know, two minutes of saying nothing uh, says a lot. Computer? Which is say going offline, you know, not wasting time on this. Because uh, he doesn't understand. So this is very important for us to, to go in this direction. I'm gonna wrap up. Say so basically in this world, this is our future. Right? Binary, simulation, non existence, that's computers. And they have no limits there. Very powerful stuff, but limited in the scope. And this is what we do. And it should make a good combination, provided that we can protect that we can be this way, which means that we have to protect our privacy, our data. Our, you know, we have to protect those things like foresight, cure. Imagine a world without mystery. I mean, a world where everything is tracked will be a world without mystery, which would be basically saying, okay, probably not worth living for, right? because we'd be a machine. And so we have to make sure we find a nice compromise there. That brings you to point uh, one of the last points here. I think technology will enable us to create a new world of logic, a new economic system. I call this sustainable capitalism. Some people have called it post capitalism. That debate would lead far too long either, so I'm going to do this quickly. It's just four things, right? People, planet, purpose, prosperity. I think every single company in the world will pursue those goals in the future. And you can feel this already starting, especially in technology. It has to be a larger view than just saying, you know, prosperity. Just prosperity isn't enough. We need a few more things than that. I'll skip this one because that definitely would lead too far. So, (laughs) I'll conclude. The future is better than we think. So many people are worried about the future. I know, are you worried about the future? Many people are. If we look at the future, clearly these things are already happening, and those things we have to learn, we have to put them into the mix. But imagine the potential if we can use technology to to fix water, diseases, climate change, energy, if we can only do the other part as well. This is a huge opportunity working with machines to improve our world. It's also a challenge. But let's not pour out the baby with the bathwater and say, we're not going to use technology because it it has side effects. You know, we, we drink alcohol, right? We don't make alcohol illegal. But at the same time, if you drank about two bottles of brandy for breakfast, you know that would not be a very good handshake here. Uh, so, let's, let's think about the, using technology in such a way where it creates a meaningful balance. Finally, our biggest problem about technology is not that robots will come and kill us, or that they may take over. That, that could be a problem down the road, you know, different discussion. Our biggest problem it's not that they will eliminate us, but that we become too much like them. We, get, we think binary, we don't ask questions, we don't build relationships, we get lazy. We think that the other person is an algorithm. Right? And if that happens, I think that's definitely the end of business for us. I'll leave you with the final sentence from my book. We should embrace technology, but not become technology. I think that's the way forward, and I hope that the message arrived. I wish you all the best for the future, and we'll talk in next year. Thank you very much for listening.